today I'm talking about, well, we're looking at favourites. So we're continuing on with a series of favourites. And like Eric, I have trouble trying to pinpoint one favourite scripture. So I thought I'd look at what... Sorry. I Thank you. Oh, I forget that we're recording. I'm sorry. Favourites. <laughs> Take two. Uh, <coughs> Uh, I don't have a particular favourite, but I thought I would share about what God is saying to me at the moment. And it's a challenging question. So I've entitled my sermon, Radical Hospitality. Now, they're not on the back, but I presume they're... Okay, cool. I'm just going to keep going. Radical Hospitality. And it's a, a question that I want to put to you this morning, and it's a question that I'm asking myself. Is how... Can we as believers have an attitude and action of radical hospitality in a world that is becoming ever increasingly unhospitable every day? And I think for us to truly answer this question, we need, you know, or even consider it, we need to ask ourselves some honest questions. And they may be confronting questions. So the first thing is, when we think about radical... What do, you, what, do I, what do you mean? What's the first thing that comes to your mind when we think about radical? Rat bag. Okay. Wow. That's it. That's, that's a, yeah, that's cool. Anyone else? Groovy. Groovy. Radical? Out there. Oh, yeah, I like that. Lollipop over to her. Great. All good answers. You all get you all get lollipops. Yeah, lollipop. Yeah, it's her lollipop. So radical could describe something new, different, or views that are not shared by everybody. Jesus was probably considered radical by man's point of view. He was a radical teacher. He spoke with authority, but it wasn't the same as the other religious leaders of the day. He was a radical thinker, and Jesus' actions were radical. They were bold. He had a bold witness. He did radical things like heal people, and goodness me, he healed people on the Sabbath. That was radical. And he said things that were radical. Love your neighbour. What? So how do we have the same kind of radical thinking and radical leadership and radical hospitality? In other words, how do we be Christ-like? But before we look at radical hospitality, we need to look at what can stop us. And here we come to the parable of the Good Samaritan. Have a beautiful... Actually, just put up the image that... The painting, yeah, beautiful. Van Gogh painted this. It's a beautiful painting. I didn't even know that he painted it. It's a gorgeous image of the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Jesus gets asked a question, and it's a very important question. He said, what must I do to inherit, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by saying, what is written in the law? The lawyer answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength and mind and love your neighbour as yourself. 
Now, this, was a t this would have been a typical answer for the lawyer who was an expert. It was a classic rabbinic answer. It was a combination of scriptures from Leviticus and Deuteronomy, which summed up everything in the law. Love God, love others. That's right, Jesus says. Do this and you shall live. So, so far, so good. Everything's going really well. Jesus confirms, yep, that's the correct answer. Now, there the conversation could have ended. Jesus could have went his way. Lawyer went, could have went his way. And what was said was not something new. It had been written down by Moses all those years ago, thousands of years before. But then we have this problem. The lawyer kind of looks foolish because he gets up in great style and, you know, asks an obvious question, got an obvious answer. And so the crowd's probably thinking, oh, yeah, great galah, you know, having a bit of a snigger. And so we read, and this is how he responds, verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbour? Here we have the first obstacle that can get in the way of our hospitality or radical hospitality, and that is our ego, our selfishness. We're born and things are going great. Then one day, our egos kick in, our selfishness. When we're talking about ego, we're talking about our ex exaggerated sense of self. It's your false identity, your body image, education, successes, theological knowledge, clothes, friends, social. The ego can make us seek immediate gratification and despises any hard or anything, anything hard or uncomfortable. Your ego can make you believe you can experience God without discomfort. An ego can make us sensitive and easily offended. Now, while the word ego does not appear in the Bible, its concepts and principles regarding ego certainly do. And Paul says, your ego, your flesh, is against your spirit. Galatians 5, 16 to 18, Paul said this, But I say, walk by the spirit and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires for these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you would. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The lawyer, as most of us, he probably cared deeply about how he was perceived. So he asked the question, well, who is my neighbour? And Jesus responded with a story. A traveller is accosted, robbed, beaten and left to die. The dying man is ignored as he suffers on the side of the road by the right kind of people. They were acceptable people with solid values and important priorities. When they saw the man, and both of them saw him, they crossed to the other side of the road. But then we have this Samaritan who is really regarded as a filthy, cultish, blaspheming, scripture-denying man. But he comes and he aids, and not does he only just aid the man, he goes well beyond what was necessary. 
So in the context of the New Testament, the Samaritan who stops is the wrong kind of person. We could say, you know, he's good, but he's a completely unacceptable foreigner or stranger. So the Bible doesn't tell us why they cross over to the other side. But I can kind of guess. Well, I'll make a guess. And that's fear. Fear was their motivation and lack of giving hospitality. For whatever reason, they feared, whether it was the breaking the rules, whether it was fear of being judged by their peers. And, you know, they made a decision out of that fear. They feared the stranger, they feared the unknown, they feared, you know, they could have been judged or rebuked. It was fear. So how do we bring that into a modern context? What happened with there? Well, if we look at what's happening around the world, we are becoming increasingly frightened people. We're becoming suspicious of anyone and everyone. The world is becoming a fearful place. You just have to turn on the news and see and hear how people are growing fearful, suspicious of the stranger, especially those who are not of the same culture or values as us. And I'm, I'm, not, I'm not denying that that fear, that fear is not real. It's real. And it's okay to admit, admit that there is actual danger. The hostility towards the church is also growing rapidly. We are fearing. We're fearing we don't want to be made vulnerable. We fear of committing to people because they just keep letting us down. We think, why bother? They don't care. And maybe they don't. But I, when I look at the good story of the Good Samaritan, I see that the, the, the Good Samaritan, he didn't fear. He didn't fear repercussions. He didn't fear judgments. He'd made a decision and went with it. I mean, nobody likes to get, get hurt. It's painful. Whether physically, emotionally, spiritually, nobody likes to get hurt. But I think today for us, bringing it back to a modern kind of context, is the problem, part of the problem is that we're being ambushed and we're being ramshackled by, by technology. Now, don't, don't get me wrong, I think te- technology is great. I can talk to my daughter and she's in Greece. That's cool. Yeah? I mean, that's cool. And the most part, it's wonderful. I've got Mark's mum who's 91 and she can be on Facebook and we can send her messages and we can check with her every day that she's okay. That's cool. But the problem is, I think, that we're starting to get this idea that this is how we communicate all the time. This is how we build a relationship. And kind of the media just keeps moving us along. Now, I know most of you do Facebook and Instagram. (laughs) And what I find on Instagram and Facebook, there's these kind of prolific 
messages about don't waste your time with people who don't care about you. Caitlin's going to put up a few things that I've... Never waste your feelings on someone who doesn't value them. You don't need to waste your time on someone who only wants you around when it fits their needs. Don't be someone's downtime, spare time, part time or sometime. If they can't be there for you all the time, then they're not even worth your time. Don't ever worry about people who don't worry about you. And it's sad. I find that really sad. There's this kind of message of don't waste your time. And recently, I just listened yesterday to a podcast with Oprah Winfrey and a Catholic nun. She's a great lady. Her name's Joan Chitzer. I think her name is. It's really, I'm not good with pronouncing it. Anyway, she has written a lot of material about, you know, faith and about uh, things like that. And she says this in the interview, that we have lost or are losing. We defend ourselves by threatening the globe and our own level of civilised humanists with it. We have chosen technology progress and financial profits over the needs of human beings. We have bartered the quality of our own souls. And she goes on to continue, she says, we are sophisticated now. We talk about our ideas for getting ahead rather than talking about ideas for touching God. So we need to live a life in a way that places higher value on relationships and community than it does on commerce and profits. And that is in direct opposition to how we're, being, how we're taught or how currently we're being programmed. We all want to feel safe. We want our kids to feel safe. We want our families to feel safe. And that's important. But part of hospitality is about, what, is about the need of acceptance. I might not understand you. You might not understand me. But we can accept each other. Now, acceptance and tolerance are two different things. Acceptance is about receiving rather than judging. Acceptance is about condoning, about, isn't about condoning, but embracing. And we have to honestly ask ourselves these kind of questions. Well, that's what I'm doing at the moment. Do I greet my morning with, with my to-do list, with checking Facebook and Instagram, or am I with prayer and silence? Do I embrace people who enter our church with suspicion that they're untrustworthy? Or do I embrace them and say, well, you're welcome here? Do I embrace or do I stick to whom I know I'm familiar with? Hospitality isn't about feeling comfortable in our own little cliques. And when we speak of speaking of something that is scary and radical. Now, it's not just about manners and being kind, though that's a good place to start. 
We need to find and practice ways of hospitality. Otherwise, we're going to keep growing hostile. Hospitality is the answer to hostility. Jesus said, love your neighbour. Hospitality is how. Then Jesus said to the lawyer, go and do likewise. The Good Samaritan story is about us. It's about strangers. We are called to be kind to the stranger on the side of the road. We are called to be kind to strangers. And that's scary. In this day and age, that's scary because, you know, it leaves us vulnerable. So what do we do? Well, because of man's inherent desire to be worshipped, the Bible is filled with verses against the self. The opposite of ego is humility. And both the Old and the New Testament are laden with references to living humbly. I love this one in Micah. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Micah 6 verse 8. King Solomon declared, Humility and the fear of the Lord bring wealth and honour and life. And one verse from Peter, 1 Peter 5 5 says this, all of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. A humble heart has no room for ego or pride or arrogance because it recognises that we all have and we all come from God. Paul said this, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Every gift, every talent, every breath we take, all are from God as our most precious gift of salvation. So we need to have this attitude of humility, the opposite of ego. And it's our biblical model. The second thing we do is fear. What is the opposite of fear? People would say courage, but fear is a feeling. So how do we combat fear? Two ways. Love God, love others. It's in our loving God and our trust and our relationship with him that helps our insecurity, that helps our fear. When we love God, we become secure in him. Love others. The only activity which we can perform in freedom is love. Galatians 5.13 You were called to freedom, so through love be servants of one another. This love is optional. It is commanded. And it's very radical. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. In other words, we are called in our freedom to desire and seek the happiness of others with the same zeal that we seek our, our own. We are called in our freedom to desire and seek the happiness of others with the same zeal that we seek our own. But if we take this seriously, it's a complete opposite to our natural inclinations. 
And it almost seems impossible. And that's why it's radical. It's radical that I should get up every morning and feel as much concern for your needs as for my own. Yet this is the Christian life. Caring for other, others as I care for myself. And it's hard. Hospitality begins inside us. It's a spiritual awakening. It begins with my own response to, with the need to connect with others. And the real question I ask myself is not how dangerous that stranger is, but how dangerous will I become if I don't learn to be more open? See, if you don't choose hospitality, you eventually just lock your heart away from others and you grow cold and hard where no one can reach you, especially God. Hospitality has an inescapable moral dimension to it. It's not a mere social grace. It's part of our spiritual journey. Why? Because the story of the Good Samaritan is also a reminder that every one of us is going to be beaten up and waiting for healing on the side of the road. You don't have to live long before you realise that no one escapes pain. Again, Joan says this, our humanity is about identifying with somebody else's pain, with being there, with somehow or another knowing that you cannot pass by on the road because it's not your problem or it's not your child or it's not your pain. Our hospitality should be driven by this kind of humanity. We must know people as people and you must try and do whatever they need in the middle of their pain. When we look at the story of the Good Samaritan, Jesus portrays the Samaritan as someone who didn't just meet basic needs, but he went even further. He went on a journey with them. He picked them up and he took them and he cared for them. And then he said, Jesus said to the you know, lawyer, well, then go and do likewise. Now, I didn't say it, but Jesus said it. Radical hospitality, it's scary, it's frightening, and there's a risk involved. But I believe that the risk of not doing it is even greater. Let's just pray. Lord, we just thank you uh, for today. Father, help us to live our life that is radical for you. Help us to be able to love others and to bring them to you and to share the gospel. Help us to trust in you and not to fear, Lord, but to be bold in our faith, courageous in our faith. Help us, Lord, to have an open heart of hospitality hospitality so that you may reach us and so that we may reach others 
We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.